But our congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first letter of Peter, the Lord directs us to always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is within us. Has that ever happened to you? That someone asks you about your life, who you are, and that you, as a member of the church, member of Christ, acknowledged, I am a Christian, a believer. And the response straight away is, what does that mean? Well, perhaps your first response is, well, I believe in the Lord God, the God who's made himself known to us in his word, the Bible. Well, what is the Bible all about? What are you told there? We're able to answer in a few words. Hopefully, you could answer like we agreed to answer together by giving attention to this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? We're making that our confession together. We together acknowledge that that is really what our confidence in the Lord is all about. Or to say it in a different way, that is what the message that we receive in his word is. It addresses that question concerning comfort in life and death. This afternoon, we pay particular attention to this. Confessing our only comfort in life and death. First, pay attention to the need for this comfort. In the second place, the content of this comfort. And the third place, the knowledge for this comfort. First of all, then, the need for this comfort. And in a way at times, especially when you're young and healthy, Everything goes well. How much need is there really for comfort? But things do not always go well, do they? Even though you may be healthy and strong, at times you are confronted with disappointment. You try so hard to do well on an examination at school and still you failed the course. And you wonder, what really is the point? Why do I bother trying so hard and it does not go well? And sometimes you are busy at a job and one thing seems to go wrong after another thing. Then when the job is done, you hear complaints. The customer is not very happy. 
And even though you may enjoy food and drink and we lack nothing as such, these kind of things can still become burdensome. Then also think of the fact that you are a Christian. Should these kind of things happen among us too who believe? We're reflecting on it and on the kind of life that we may live. Contrast to how we may live, is it not much more difficult for other people in this world? But we may enjoy economic prosperity in this country, We may enjoy political freedom. We may enjoy freedom from war and persecution. Really, how many privileges do we have that we may simply take for granted? When considering others in this world, becomes perhaps even more difficult. The Lord had proven to be a God among his own people, the children of Israel. And would you not expect that the children of Israel as God's people would continually enjoy prosperity and that kind of freedom? Well, in the days of Isaiah, that was not the case at In fact, a large part among the children of Israel had already been taken into exile. Assyrian enemies had taken them away. And there was continual threat of the Babylonians. And on top of that, the Lord's prophet Isaiah had indicated that the Lord had been angry with them and would punish them even more yet. Especially among those that did want to serve the Lord in a faithful way. How distressing it would have been. Think of a prophet Isaiah himself. Would it not have upset him? Lord, where is your great mercy? And are there not those among your people who do show diligent diligent dedication to you? Where are you, Lord God? You can also think of how the Lord had addressed the Corinthian church in the second letter. We only read the very beginning of that letter, but already from that very beginning it is evident that the Lord's servant, the apostle, was in trouble. Why was he in trouble? Because there was opposition to the message that he was busy bringing. If you continue to read in this second letter, it becomes clear that 
there were questions beginning to arise in this vein. If the apostle is really a servant of the mighty God, how can it possibly be that he suffers trouble? The apostle is not afraid to acknowledge it. Verse 8, he openly says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Their life was under threat. When hearing this, does not also remind us the context in which the catechism was first put together. There were men who really wanted to hold on to the message of God's word. And when diligently doing so, opposition grew. Those that diligently held on to that word. Yes, today we might read in history books and it seems somewhat glamorous. And these men, like heroes, if you lived at that time, you would know that they were faced with opposition from Various signs. And sad to say, at times also from those who were very close by, family members, questioning why do you have to be so persistent and so insistent? Why do you have to be so provocative? Because in the end, like happened in the days of the Apostle Paul, but happened also in the days of Martin Luther and Calvin, men, especially church leaders, were imprisoned. During their imprisonment, mothers, children, were left at home by themselves. You can well understand that people, even though the Apostle Paul was not married and he speaks about the Lord giving him this possibility and opportunity to be busy in his work fully and completely in this context. But he was an exception. The Corinthian congregation were obviously beginning to question the gospel message. The gospel messages of freedom, of liberation, of renewed pleasure 
Where is it? Instead of all these things, it has made life much more miserable. And what can I understand also at the time the catechism was being composed? That questions arose. Is holding on to that message that important? Is it worth the kind of trouble that families, children, parents are suffering? Is it really worth it all? We do well to consider it too, beloved. Is it really worth it all? Or is it better and easier to just give in? Go along with the crowd and the majority. For while we here today may enjoy freedom in various ways, there are other places in the world where there is persecution. And let us not hide from what is becoming more and more obvious among us too. Political correctness, you've heard it before. It does not hurt to hear about it again. That is being pushed in various ways. Do we dare? And is it really worth it to insist? But this is my comfort. Do we really need that kind of comfort? I'm not my own. I belong to God. I've been bought by God's own Son, Christ Jesus. I'm His possession. Now, I am not my own. Understand too how big of a contrast this is to the thinking in this world. The thinking in this world where the emphasis and focus is, I am my own. We may reflect on how that point has become so strong and emphatic in the context of letting unborn children be killed because a woman, a mother, is her own, her own body. She can do with it what she wants. Is that not the way of life today? I can do with my life whatever I desire to do, and no one may stand in the way. I am my own boss. I direct the course of my own life. It's clear that the Lord's children while they still lived in the promised land, had taken that kind of attitude too. Oh yes, they had enjoyed the great prosperity that the Lord had given. They had the parties and the feasts, and that is what life had all become about. Forget about working and just rely on social welfare, but then 
things do start falling apart. Look at the history of the Lord's people. The Lord does speak about how the enemies come as a punishment for their wayward ways. If you analyze it in a strictly political kind of way, maybe suggested that Israel as a nation fell because of its moral decline. Historians will speak about how the Roman Empire had fallen in the same way. And is that not the continual history of this world? Not only that. But really, when we reflect on what life is all about, we live. Our days, 60, 70, maybe 80 years, like we sang with the words of Psalm 103, and also read in Isaiah 40, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness Like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it and it is gone. Life is so short, especially when you start becoming a bit older. Start realizing how short it really is. When reflecting on the time when the Hadbert Catechism was written, not even 500 years ago, six, seven generations ago, how many people have been there? How many people have died? How many changes are there in this world? And when reflecting on it, yes, and indeed, you start realizing it is only but a very short time. And really how broken has life becomes. A voice had said, cry out, and the question is, what shall I cry? Well, that was a cry. That was a cry. A cry like heard through the mouth of the King Solomon. Everything is vain and a pursuit after wind. What is this life all about? Without God, it has no purpose at all. And therefore, indeed, what is your only comfort in life and death? Your only comfort. Understand this word that is used here well. It is a word that is used in the context of death. And when people stand around the grave, the Lord sending his prophet with these words, comfort. When at the grave somebody puts their hand on your shoulder, stands by you. You are not alone confronted with the brokenness of this life. That is comfort 
that we may confess. And indeed, the only comfort, for there is no other comfort. And it is a comfort that is all encompassing a comfort for both body and soul. Not just for the body, we come to our second point. Not just for the soul, but both. The Catechism, it is purposely formulated that way because Scripture speaks that way. Also because there is a continual tendency to think about religion and faith as a spiritual thing distinct from the body. There's no such distinction to be made here. God is creator of the body and of the soul, of both. And therefore, focus on the great comfort that indeed we may embrace in the context of this world in which there is misery and pain and suffering and disappointment and family troubles. There is really comfort. I've been bought, not been left on my own. Been taken up by a Savior, Jesus Christ. He's bought me with his precious blood. Similar kind of context in the letter to the Romans. Chapter 14, assurance is given that even though there may be persecution, even though there may be trouble and disappointments, we may rest assured that whether we live or we die, Chapter 14, verse 8, we belong to him. We are the Lord's. He has taken us up. He has not abandoned this earth entirely. He has come among his own children. He has sent his own son among us and we may be his people today. Are you prepared always to thankfully embrace this great message? This evidence of the hope that is within you. I am not my own, but I have been bought by a price, by the blood of Christ. I'm now his possession, and he has freed me from the power of the devil, the wicked one, the one that seeks to undo me. Yes, the power of Christ by which I have been bought is so strong that his father takes care of me 
so that not even a hair falls from my head without his will. Do you embrace this rich privilege and blessing? Think of how in the same letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, when the Lord's people are addressed concerning remaining faithful to him, not to give themselves over to immorality and idolatry. A reminder that you are not your own. And how can you give that what belongs to Christ to idolatry like a harlot? You belong to Christ. He's bought you. And therefore, you cannot give it away to idolatry and adultery. You belong to him. He has bought you. How terrible it will be if you should waste away this privilege in that kind of way. Hopefully, from this you are beginning to understand that even though outwardly it may not always appear so, But really, it is worth everything, this treasure of belonging to him. Yes, indeed, it is a treasure. A treasure so great like the Lord Jesus indicated by way of parables that you rather sell everything to obtain this rich privilege and blessing that you give up everything, even your own life. Even if you must spend time in prison because of your faith. The apostle, as the Lord's servant, the second letter to the Corinthians makes a very strong point of it. He acknowledges that there is trouble. He despaired even of life. The sentence of death is upon ourselves. But he holds on to the only comfort that he really has in this life. That was also the point that the Lord conveyed through his prophet Isaiah when the question arises in the context of these enemies that were coming. And the voice that cried out, yes, all of life is death. Like the flower of the field, it is here today, gone tomorrow. But, it is emphasized, but the word of the Lord God stands forever Verse 8. God's word stands forever. And let me remind you what that word is. Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The eternal son of God. The eternal son of God who was there at the time of creation already prepared to be there as our savior and deliverer. He is the content of that message 
that word, that message, that word that's filled with action, his action, coming into this world in the form of our human flesh and blood, becoming one with us, taking our iniquity and punishment upon himself, doing everything for us so that we today, and again we think of the context of the troubles because of the faith and persecution. Matthew chapter 10, where the Lord Jesus is among his disciples and sends them out to preach the gospel in various villages and he warns them that they will be hated by many but he adds not to fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul and he assures them but the very hairs of your head are numbered do not fear therefore You are of more value than many sparrows. God the Father so values you. So we can put it in our confession, in our reflecting upon the message that the Lord gives to us. He, Christ, also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair falls from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And His Holy Spirit is there always to help me along. His Holy Spirit. Notice how it is formulated in this first Lord's Day of the Catechism. Formulated with focus on Christ. I belong to him. He's bought me. Here we think of you as a member of the church. He bought his flock, his sheep. You belong to him, Christ. And now because you belong to him, it is his father who makes sure that not a hair falls from your head. And it is his Holy Spirit, for did the Lord Jesus not say and promise that he would send the Holy Spirit when he ascends and is seated at his Father's right hand? Just read the the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 15, and 16. It is repeated there a number of times. He promises there that I will not abandon you. I will send you another comforter or counselor. Depends on what translation you use, the Old King James translation. Another comforter to stay with you. The same word that is found in 2 Corinthians 1 that we have read this afternoon. Send you another comforter to assure you and to be with you, to make you heartily willing and ready to live as his children. Indeed, how blessed we are to have such a God, such a Savior, such a one does not abandon us, but grants as a great gift of redemption and salvation. That is the content of our comfort. I am not my own. I belong to him. I belong to him who takes such good care of me. I am 
a member of his flock. He protects me. He takes care. He watches out for me. Certainly, does not mean that we can become careless. But at the same time, it does give us confidence. Confidence that nothing can go wrong with my salvation. Indeed, continues to direct us to heed his word and follow his will. But at the same time, we rest assured, nothing really can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. And how do we know about all this? Our third point. The catechism, we pay attention to this as well. How do we know it? Do we know it because we feel it? Because we have experienced it? Not really. We know it because the Lord has told us about it. When we confess that we must know these three things, first, how great my sin and misery are and how I am delivered and how am I to be thankful for such deliverance. We find these things in the message that he himself has given. For we ourselves would never have come to the conclusion that the real problem, the crux of the problem is our rebellion against him. Yes, everybody will agree that this is a miserable world. There are problems here. There's sickness. There's death. There's wars. There's tribulation. There are many people who live their life in a terrible way. Pain and suffering. Many people will agree with that, but what really is the problem? The problem is sin and misery. And Therefore, what is the solution to the problem? Solution is an outside person who comes to save and deliver us, Christ. Deliverance. Notice with the catechism that word is used. It is an acknowledgement of our own incapability. We need to be delivered. And yes, thankfulness as well. Thankfulness includes that we did not accomplish it ourselves. We are thankful for what the Lord God has given. Thankful. And when emphasizing and focusing on this third point, becomes clear that even though in this age and time we still often suffer the consequences of sin and sinfulness and the brokenness of this life, the deliverer is there. The deliverance is already being given. We may already rejoice in the great blessing of salvation. And while there's opportunity, let us do so more and more expressing our great thankfulness for not having been abandoned, but still being God's children in the midst of this world. Really, how blessed we are, beloved, and how great is our comfort. 
our comfort in the midst of this broken world. There are some who at times good intention think that they have to work towards changing this world, making it better. People speak about a utopia, an ideal world, and try to define it. What is it all about? What is our aim? Well, I can try as hard as we like. We can never achieve it. Instead, we may be thankful that it has been achieved for us by the Creator, God the Father, who sent His only well-beloved Son into this world as our Redeemer and Savior. A Savior, who along with His Father also sends His Holy Spirit so that we may be strengthened to embrace this message, to know the great comfort of knowing Him and living as His children. Embrace this comfort, beloved. Yes, make it entirely your own. Embrace it with great thankfulness. Insist that is you. Belong to him. Body and soul, he has bought me. He delivered me. I am one of his. Amen.